You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. This morning, this morning, we are blessed to have with us uh, a guest. He's, he's, he's a guest, but he's not really a guest. Uh, his name is Pastor Mike Alvarez, and uh, Mike is a close friend of mine, but he is a good friend of our church. He, uh, up until 2017, when we banished him, um, I'm just joking, uh, he spoke here pretty regularly, and uh, he hasn't actually spoken here since 2017, uh, not because we banished him, we just, just for whatever reason, didn't work in the schedules, but he's here today, and uh, we're so blessed to have him. Uh, Mike is the young adults pastor at what I like to call our Naperville campus, Calvary Church Naperville. It is about 10 times the size of our church, but um, he's the young adults pastor and he's doing a phenomenal job, and he is an amazing man of God and communicator, and today he's gonna be continuing our series, For God So Love, talking about how God loves those we hate. So I want you to give it up for, for Pastor Mike Alvarez this morning. Thanks, Mike. Hey, thank you, Nick. Don't you guys love Nick's mustard-colored shirt? That's what we're going for. I could never pull this off. So you don't know this, but these are dairy colors. Blue like, and gold uh, are, are dairy colors. That's where I went to school. It's all good. Dairy like as in milk? No. Oh. Nice try. Though. Okay. Sorry, I tried, guys. I tried to connect with you guys. Couldn't find that connection. Guys, so good to be with you guys. How are you guys doing this morning? This is awesome. I am glad to be with you guys. Yes, Nick, in fact, banished me away, tucked me away and hid me like a little Harry Potter kid under the stairs, and, uh, and he has since let me out uh, to, uh, to just kind of hang with you guys. I'm so glad to be with you guys. It's, it's been a while. Uh, since I've been here, but I love it every time I come here, hang out with you guys, and able to share and teach. And so, um, if you guys would stand with me, I like it when uh, people stand with me. Uh, we're going to read um, a text here. This is kind of a launching pad for where uh, we're going to, um, where we're going for the next few moments. And, um, and so uh, we're just gonna be looking at something here. And by the way, I just wanna welcome everyone that's watching online right now, those in the warming shelters. Would you guys welcome everyone that's watching online? We're so grateful that you are here watching and connecting. And by the way, thank you for coming to church. I know you could be anywhere you want to be on a Sunday morning, and you choose to be with God's people. And so I think this is a, a really good thing and, uh, and, and, and an obedient thing that you find in Scripture. So uh, thanks for being here today. We're just going to look at something real quickly here. Out of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, pa Paul writes this, and he's talking about um, just this idea that we are being built together with Christ 
to accomplish something. And so this is kind of my theme verse for myself and for uh, the community of people that I'm a part of. As Nick mentioned that I, uh, I oversee all of young adult and college ministry at, uh, at our campus there. And so this is kind of the theme verse, but this is also a theme verse for all of God's people. If you're a Christ follower, or maybe by the end of this gathering today, uh, you might become a Christ follower. My hope is that we all adopt what God wants us to learn. Because here's the thing, you will either be anybody on accident or you will become someone on purpose, right? And so all of us, and this is something I tell young adults, all of us, uh, people in their 20s, we're all laying the right foundation for our lives. And hopefully by the, by the time we reach 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, or 80 years old, that we have laid the right foundation for our lives. One of the things I tell people often is that there is an 80 or 90 year old person inside of you begging you, begging you, pleading with you to lay the right foundation for your life. So that way by the time you reach 80, 90 years old, that you are looking back at your life saying, I am so glad I laid the right foundation for my life. Because we are all becoming the people that God wants to be. Check this out. Look at this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. And it says this. And in him, you two are being built together. Check this out. To become, everyone say become. Become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit, right? We are all becoming the person that God wants us to be. Are we all in agreement with each other? Come on. Uh, so God is, is building us to be the kind of person that he wants us to be. Today we're going to focus in on something uh, that we've entitled, God loves those you hate. God loves those you hate. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you. Lord, for today, I thank you for what you are about to accomplish today. Lord, I believe Lord, that you are at work in your church today, that you are at work among your people. Father, you know every single person in this room right now. It doesn't matter where they are. It doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter what pedigree they come from. It doesn't matter what they've experienced in life. God, every single person in here is not a number. But Lord, you are fully aware of every individual. And so Lord, here's what we're asking. We're asking that today, Lord, that you would intercept every life. Father, that you would break down every wall. Lord, that you would intercept every lie. God, that you would tear down every false philosophy that we've held on to. And Lord, I pray that the truth of your word would, it would break in through every mind and every heart today. God, that you would allow your word to seep deep into our lives, we pray this, God. Lord, I thank you for what you are going to accomplish in the next few moments. And Lord, I'm asking that you hide me behind the cross and that the name of Jesus would be lifted up and that every person would be drawn to you today. Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Before you're seated, turn to somebody, high five them and says, I think there's gonna be a word for you today. And then you can be seated. I don't know about you, but 
I might be the only one that doesn't like to be told to do stuff. I mean, I could be wrong about this, but I'm not a person that likes to be told to do things, right? Uh, if when I was in school growing up, um, whenever I was told to read a book, it was like you could have uh, said the worst thing to me. I just had no desire to read the book, even though it was probably good for me, even though it was probably good for my learning. The reality is that I did not like to read. If you told me to read, I just probably wouldn't read the book. Me and my car have a very interesting relationship. Every time my car tells me I should pay attention to the dashboard lights, um, I tend to try to ignore it or cover it up. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, like you just, when, you're, when your car starts talking to you and that little engine light comes on, I, like, I start to like put things on top of it. I turn up the radio to just drown out the noise. And, and, and I even try to do this. I don't know if you've ever tried to do this. I know nothing about cars. I know nothing about computers. But in my mind, I think to myself, if I just shut off my car and turn it back on, maybe I just might reboot it. <laughs> you, 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 know, you know what I'm talking about? Like it's just, it's one of those things where uh, I just don't want to be told uh, anything to do because I'm, I, by nature, I'm this rebellious person. I mean, I, 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 can anybody relate to this? Like, like, you just don't like to be told to do stuff. Now, I'm the type of person, maybe you're like this too, I'm the type of person that don't mess with what's good, right? If something is good, I'm cool with it. Like, there's no business for you to be touching certain things, especially, like, if it's going well, if it's going smooth, don't touch it. So, for example, it really bugs me when Hollywood remakes a good movie, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, The Karate Kid was one of those things, like, like, God love you, Will Smith. You've been smacking a lot of people, but I felt like you smacked me when you remade The Karate Kid, right? I, it's, just, it's just one of those things like don't touch. When they remade The Lion King, like come on. Like what, what's the deal? I don't, I don't understand that. But when Hollywood tends to go in and remakes movies and they'll do stuff with Aladdin and all of that kind of stuff, like don't touch What's good, right? Are you guys like creatures of habit? You, you know what I'm talking about? Does this make sense? Am I preaching to myself? Like, am I the only one? All of us like something that's consistent and something good. What's interesting is that when you dive in the scripture, which is a text we're gonna look at, Jesus addresses a topic here. Something that their culture was all too familiar with. In fact, it was probably something that they never thought anybody would mess with. They were, in fact, pretty comfortable with this perspective. They were pretty comfortable with um, the thing they had grown to learn, grown to accept in their culture. And Jesus will interrupt it. 
Why does Jesus always do, do, he always does stuff like that, right? He always does stuff where he kind of interrupts things. He kind of throws a wrench in the system. And he does stuff like this all the time. Check this out in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. He says this. He says, you've heard that it was said. I love that. Jesus always starts out because what he does is he identifies a cultural perspective. He says, all you guys are familiar with this already. What I'm about to tell you is nothing new. This is something familiar to you. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. There's no question in my mind at that moment when Jesus was saying this, he says, you've heard that it was said. And they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, go ahead. And he says, love your neighbor. And some people are just like, they're elbowing each other. They're like fist bumping each other. Like, oh, I know where he's going with this. Like, I've heard this. I've got this down packed. Like, I got this. This is pretty smooth. Like, this is what I do. I do this really well. Like, I know how to love people, and I know how to hate my enemy. Like, if you want to learn from me, like, I've written some online courses on this. Right, I teach a master class on this. Like, these guys have got this down packed. There's no question that they kind of knew where Jesus was going. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This was a common saying in their culture. This was not a foreign thing to them. They all understood it. They all knew it. This was not foreign to them at all. This all traces all the way back to the Old Testament up into that present day. It was a teaching they had learned. Rabbis taught this. This was taught in their schools. This was taught in their way of living in their homes. They could have had plaques hung up on their wall that had sayings like this. This was a common understanding. You see, we're no different than them because we have common stuff like that in our culture too. I don't know if you realize this. We all say common things like that, such as a penny saved is a, come on. When someone says, when something, somebody thinks it's pretty easy, they'll say something like, oh, that's just a piece of cake, Right? You've heard that saying before. If you want an estimate from someone, you just say, hey, give me a ballpark figure, right? When someone makes a mistake and they get, they, they, they get bothered and emotional about it, you say something like, don't cry over spilled milk, right? If you're, I, I deal with this with high school students and young adults all the time, but generally if you're running to the car, and you want to get the front seat, you say, I call shotgun, baby, shotgun, right? Like this is a common saying. And when you break up with someone, you try to encourage them by saying stuff like, there are plenty of fish in the sea, right? We all have these common colloquialisms, these common things we say. So it's, it's just like those guys back then in the Bible, we do the exact same thing today in our culture. The question is, why was this familiar to them? 
Why was this familiar to these folks as they were listening to Jesus say this? This was a familiar teaching to them, and it traces all the way back to the Old Testament. And here's what I want to give you. Here's my first, first thought. What date did, G, did God say to hate? What date did God say to hate? Because this was a teaching that came out of, came from Moses. And Moses got this from God. So why would God say to hate? It doesn't sound like God, does it? I mean, at least I think it doesn't. It doesn't sound like God. Why would God say to hate? So it goes back to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. You can write that down if you want to and check it out for yourself. Leviticus 19, 18, I want to read it for you. And this is what it says in verse number 18. It says, do not seek revenge. That's a really important phrase. We're going to get back to that here in the next few moments. But he says this, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, your people. But love your neighbor as you love yourself. You see, this is kind of a different teaching that Jesus is giving here because if you look in the New Testament, you follow the way Jesus teaches, he'll say stuff like this in Matthew 5, 21. He says, he'll say stuff like, you shall not murder. Don't kill people, that's wrong, Jesus says. Killing people is a wrong thing to do. He'll also say something like this in Matthew chapter five, verse 27. He'll say, you shall not commit adultery. In other words, if you're married and someone else is married, don't take someone else's spouse. Or if you're single as a dollar bill and you meet someone else who's married, don't take that person's spouse, right? Jesus says, don't commit adultery. One of the things that Jesus does is when you read in the New Testament, you'll read the Gospels, he will start out saying, you've heard that it was said. Again, Jesus is identifying a cultural perspective. We have cultural perspectives here. We, you know, again, I named some sayings that we say in our culture, and then Jesus will kind of dive into this, and the reason why he dives in, he'll say stuff like, you've heard that it was said, but I tell you. Here's what Jesus is doing at this moment. When you're reading the Gospels, and you're reading moments in which he identifies these things, what he's trying to do is he's not trying to move you away from that teaching, but he's trying to get us beyond the shallow, beyond the legalities of it. And he's trying to dive, help us dive a bit deeper into that teaching, into that understanding. And he wants to give us more details about this. So the question is, where did this idea come from that all of a sudden Jesus says, hey, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Remember, love, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Where did that come from? Well, that's a good question because the reality is no one knows where it came from. Uh, they actually don't know where that saying came from or if I can say this, the latter part of that saying of the whole part where it says to hate 
your enemy. Many scholars actually um, say that when rabbis and uh, teachers of the law, spiritual teachers, whenever they would focus in on Leviticus 19, they would focus on the word neighbor and they would say something like this, that your neighbor is someone that looks like you or comes from your ethnic background. In other words, whatever your ethnicity is, whatever color of skin that you are, whatever philosophies or beliefs you hold on to, that's your neighbor. Anybody outside of the color of your skin, anyone outside of your pedigree, anyone outside of that is actually considered your enemy. So culturally, what they adopted was, they said, if people look like you, think like you, act like you, and hold to the same philosophies you hold to, that's your neighbor. Anybody outside of that is your enemy. And so if people didn't look like you, think like you, act like you, had the same color of skin that you had, came from your background, that person was considered outside of your circle. In fact, it was not just encouraged, it was justified. Oh, because God must have said this, or God must have encouraged this, because he said if your neighbor is a person that is a person that's like your skin color, is a person that is of your background, or of this holds the same philosophies you hold to, then that must be the person that we connect with and get along with. I don't know about you, but if you watch the news at all, there's a lot of crazy things that's going on in the world today, isn't there? Lots of stuff that... I would imagine that if I were to put a microphone in front of every single one of your faces, you would probably have an opinion about something that's happening in our culture, in our world today. All of us are frustrated with a lot of the tension, a lot of the struggles, a lot of the, of the things that um, media and uh, social media pull us into all of that clickbait and all of that stuff that kind of stirs up tension in our world. That kind of draws us in and creates a lot of frustration there. The world would love for us to hate. Isn't that crazy? The world would love for you and me to hate each other. And it's not just a thing where it's like they really want us to hate each other. Um, there's money to be made in that. And I think one of the things that the world wants us to do is to hate each other because that creates a lot of good publicity. And there's nothing that hurts us more. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got a... Uh, text message from a young adult who normally doesn't attend our gathering. He attends every once in a great while, and he was having some issues 
uh, in, in our young adult ministry. And I tried to help him out, didn't really interact with him much, but I tried to help him out. And in the long run, it was one of those things where it just didn't work out. And so he ended up leaving for about nine to 10 months, hadn't heard from him from that period, during that period. And he sends me a text a couple of weeks ago, and it opens up with something of this nature. He said, last night, Mike, I was harassed by one of your kind. And he begins to go down this text that begins to identify in a very disrespectful way of my ethnicity. And just began to tear that down. And I have an older, mentally challenged brother. And so he began to attack my brother. Began to call him names. Began to tear him down. He's never met my brother, by the way. Began to tear him down. Began to say horrible things. Now, I'll tell you, my immediate response was to want to pull out some nunchucks and some, you know, just, you know, do some really crazy things. Some crazy things were going through my head. I'm going to promise you that. But the one thing I understood was I kept on reminding myself, like, God loves this person. Now, please hear me when I tell you this, that that's not me being overly spiritual. That's not me saying, well, I'm a pastor and I gotta think that way. No, 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 I Listen, I believe, you cut me, I bleed just like you. And so it was one of those things where I had to make a conscious decision like, hey, God loves this person. Picked up the phone, called the parents, and I forwarded in that text message and I said, hey, this person has said this, your son has said this, how can I help? And we spent about 45 minutes on the phone just dialoguing about how I, can, how I can come alongside that person to help in any way possible. Listen, Matthew chapter 5 verse 44 says this. Jesus is talking and he says, after he finishes saying, you've heard that it was said to love your neighbor but hate your enemy. He says this in 44. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and Pray for those who persecute you. You want to know what a remedy is for people that hurt you, for people that violate you, for people that attack you, that you would deem, that you would put them in the category of enemy? Jesus says to pray for them. Now that sounds very contradictory to what our natural pull is. Our natural pull is to like get online and begin to keyboard protest. You know what I'm talking about? Like to get online and to talk about, to share on Instagram, to share on Facebook, to get on TikTok, whatever your means of social media escape is, like for you to get on that and for you to begin the protest, for you to pick up your phone and for you to call your friend. You're like, you know what he did? Right? Like our means of doing stuff like this is to go this way instead of going this way. You see, God invites us into this understanding of like, hey, I need to pray for my enemy. So here's the question. What do you do? 
What do you do with those who have done you wrong? What do you do with those that have hurt you? For those that have violated you. For those that have violated your trust. For that person who took your innocence away when you didn't consent to it. What do you do with the person that lied to you? That parent who didn't love you the way that they should have. What do you do with that person or that parent that has made promises over promise over promise but never kept up with it? What do you do with that person who is now your enemy, who falls into the category of enemy? Because I would imagine if I took stats in this room that there have been people that have been hurt by somebody. There have been people in this room that you have in many ways have been betrayed by someone, someone has lied to you, someone has done you dirty, someone in your life has messed with you and pushed the wrong buttons and have taken you places that you never intended to go. We all find ourselves there, and so what do you do with that? There's a story in the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Jonah, who God had called to the city of Nineveh. Remember this story? He calls him to Nineveh, and this is what God says. God says, hey, Jonah, I want to redeem these people. And so what I'd like for you to do, Jonah, is I want you to go to them, and I want you to preach the good news. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn their hearts around, and I'm going to show them mercy. And Jonah says, that's great. See ya. And then just turns around and then goes in a different direction. Right? He just takes an Uber and heads off as far as he could go in the opposite direction. God chases Jonah down and Jonah has this amazing, you can read this for yourself, he has this amazing um, interaction. God turns his, his direction around, takes him back to Nineveh. Here's a reason why Jonah was refusing. A lot of people think that Jonah was being rebellious, and in some ways he was. But the reason why Jonah was being rebellious is because if you understand the people of Nineveh, they were a horrific group of people. They were, in many ways, not just immoral, but amoral. In other words, they were a group of people that lacked morality. In some ways, they were not governed by any kind of morality. They were just governed by the fact that they believed that they were the best of the best and they could have whatever they wanted to have. You know, they would go into villages. They would go into communities and take over those communities and they would steal everything and they would rape and they would rape children and they would rape women. And then what they would do is they would cut the heads off of children or off of adults and they would put them on stakes so that way when you came back into the community that you once lived in, you would be riding horses back up the road, back to the community, and all you would see lined up on the road were spikes and heads on top of them. 
The people of Nineveh were evil. And no doubt, Jonah had family and friends that had been raped, murdered, and killed. No doubt Jonah had spent time riding down the road into villages that had been taken over by Ninevites. And Jonah saw the heads of his friends on the spikes as he rode in. You see, Jonah wasn't trying to be rebellious. Jonah said, these people deserve God's wrath. And so God turns his heart around and says, Jonah, I get it, but I love people. Jonah goes in, preaches a powerful gospel, and one of the greatest revivals ever recorded in biblical history is recorded in the book of Jonah, where nearly 200,000 people turn their hearts back to God. One of the things that God invites us to is he invites us to pray for people. When people do you wrong, when people have hurt you, when people have violated you, when people have taken advantage of you, one of the things that we should do primarily is we need to get on our face before God and we need to say, God, on my own power, I can't do this. There is a limit to this love. There is a limit to where I'm at. I'm at. I can't go any deeper. And so God, I'm gonna need your help to join me in this because we need to go much deeper at loving these people. And I can't love these people. These people have done me wrong. That person has done me wrong. And so God, I need your help. I need you right now. Guys, I cannot tell you how many times I have prayed that in my own life where I have knelt beside my bed or I've knelt, you know, beside my desk or I've knelt, you know, in some place or I've sat in my car and I've punched my steering wheel and I say, God, if you don't, it won't. God, if you don't help me, I have zero clue how this is gonna work out because God, I'll be honest with you, I wanna throw this person down a set of stairs. You've had those feelings too. Right, all of us have experienced that in some way. Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. You can check this out or write this down for later on. You can reference this. Paul is trying to help people understand what it means to forgive and help them through a process of connecting with people. And this is what he writes in Romans 12, 19 through 21. He says this, do not Take revenge, my dear friends. Why does Paul say this? Why does Paul tell us not to take revenge on people? Because revenge feels good, doesn't it? Some of us in this room have done exactly that to some people. I mean, I've had my share of taking revenge on people. I've done some pretty goofy things because revenge feels good revenge feels like if you hurt me I can now make you feel the way you've made me feel and I'm going to make sure that you feel this harder 
than, I, than how you affected me. But Paul says, don't take revenge, dear friends, he says. Why does Paul say that? Why does he tell us not to take revenge? Well, I'll tell you a few things. Number one, God never encourages to pay evil for evil. There is something about when someone does evil to us that our nature is to want to do evil back to people. God never encourages you and me to do evil for evil. God's heart for us is to never focus on getting even. Even though that's our desire, even though that's our want, he never encourages us to get even with people. Whoever hurts you. Here's another reason why. Because God's ways are better than ours. God's ways are better than our ways. You see, you think that you may come up with a great plan of revenge. I thought I've come up with some great plans of revenge. But you realize that God's ways are better than our ways. Here's the other reason. Taking over from God, because the reality is that whenever you, you and I try to do revenge, it's us trying to play God in a situation. And whenever we try to take revenge on someone, we dilute God's opportunity to avenge us. Whenever you and I try to intercept God, in other words, whenever God is saying, God says, hey, listen, I'll take revenge. We'll even see it here in a moment. I'll read, I'll continue to read here in a in, in moment. But whenever you and I decide to take revenge on someone, what happens is whatever God is trying to do in that person or in that situation where God's ways are higher than our ways, that God needs to get around certain things because he needs to work in that person's heart. Whenever we do that, whenever we jump in front of God, what happens is we dilute what God's wanting to do. We water down what God is trying to accomplish in that person. And it hurts the opportunity for God to bring healing or for God to bring restoration or for God to bring healing to your life. And what happens is, what happens is you don't really get healed. What happens is that hurt still stays there and it still grows and it still festers. And the problem is, is that while you may have gotten revenge here, somebody else may try to do something similar over here. And now what happens is now you're reactive to that person. And all you're doing is walking around with an open wound. And it hurts. You guys, you guys hear what I'm saying? Are you guys following what I'm talking about? Because right now I feel like I'm killing it. And I can't tell with you guys. Okay, good. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. So he goes on to say this. Oh, here's, here's the last thing, the reason why God doesn't tell us to, to take revenge. The reason why, and this is probably the most important one, is that God simply wants us to trust him in his timing and power to deliver justice to the situation. 
there's a trust factor that builds up. When we, when someone does us wrong, when that person, we put them in the category of enemy, what happens is at that moment, we, we at that moment, position ourselves, posture ourselves, and we say, God, I'm going to trust you in this. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I have no idea how you're going to soften that person's heart. I have no idea how you're going to intercept that person. I have no clue, God. In my rational mind, that doesn't make sense to me, how you're going to bring this full circle and how you're going you're gonna to bring revenge on this situation. I don't get it. But God, you said that you would intercept this situation. And so therefore, God, I trust you and I trust your timing. In this, he goes on to say this. He says this in Romans chapter 12, uh, and he says this, but leave room for God's wrath. Leave room for God's wrath. In other words, what Paul is saying is that if you're right here, this close to the situation, take a step back. God, this is yours. This is your situation, not mine. I want to deal with it. I want to attack it. I want to, I want to rectify this. But God, this is your situation. You deal with this. I'm going to take a step back from this. He goes on to say, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. This is the Lord saying, this is, your, this is the God of creation. This is the one whom you said you follow, right? The God that you say that you serve the God that you said that you submit to, this is your God. He says this. He says, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20, on the contrary, this is Paul saying this. So if you want to know how to deal with an enemy, right? This is what Paul said. I didn't say this. This Paul says this, okay? Check this out. You can read this for yourself. Paul says this. For, for it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him or her something to drink. In doing so, this will keep burning coals on his or her head. Paul says this, here's the deal. He says, when someone does you dirty, when someone does you wrong and you put them in the category of enemy, right, God says, now turn them into a frenemy, right? He said, this is what God says. Paul says this through the inspiration of God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is what he says. He says, now here's the deal. He says, look for an opportunity to bless them. <sighs> Paul, what's your deal? Are you smoking something? What's going on? You're scaring me, Paul. What's up? Paul says, to do this because it's like putting burning coals on their head. What does that mean? Why would I put burning coals on his, like, do, like what, what, what are we talking about here? Proverbs 25, 22 talks about this. It gives this idea that it helps people feel remorseful for what they've done because what happens is you are paying good from evil. That when you and I do good, it changes something in people's lives. You see, so this is what he's encouraging us to. We're going to close here in a moment. The worship team can come up here. Is this making sense to people? Is, are, we, are we good? So here, here's the thing. 
Here's the thing. John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus says this. Check this out. You can write this down. Hopefully you guys are taking notes. You can write this down. Check this out for yourself. John 14, 15. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Did you know, can I tell you guys a little secret? Can you guys, you guys bring it in here? Can I tell you a little secret? Did you know that God has an 11th commandment? Oh, you know you didn't. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I told a secret on God. God actually has a secret menu, right? God has a secret menu. This is so good. God has an 11th commandment. Check this out. John 14, 15. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments, right? Now, here's the deal. Write this down for yourselves. John 13, 34. He says this, a new commandment I give you. This is Jesus says this. There are 10 commandments. Jesus says, a new command I give you. Now there's 11. There's another finger right here. A new command I give you. Check this out. Love one another as I have loved you. Jesus did it. He says, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Verse 35, by this, everyone, 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 every single person will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. Do you know how people will experience the love of God and will people will know that there are Christians on the earth? Jesus said, if you love one another. That's how people will know that you are my disciple. Here's the other thing that's really interesting about this. We're gonna close here in a moment. Jesus says, love one another just as I have loved you. Well, how does Jesus love you? How does God love you? Well, Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this. Check this out. Write this down. Write this down. I promise you it'll be good when you have an enemy in your life. One of the verses you're going to want to look back to is this one. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. Look at this. He says, but God demonstrated his own love for you in this way while we were still sinners Christ died for you and me in other words while you and I were enemies with God while you and I were still striving with God while you and I would put our hands in God's chest and say no way while you and I were still in enmity with God, while you and I were fighting against God every single day, at the height of that moment, at the height of your rebellion, at the height of your eneminess, at the height of your frustration with God, it was at that moment, it was at that moment 
that Christ loved you. And he died for you. We were all enemies of God at one point. Did you know that? And yet, God chooses to love you. Here's what God invites us to. Would you stand with me? Here's what God invites us to. God reminds us that we were all once enemies of him. And he says, love people the way I love you. He loves us and he loved us when we were at the height of our rebellion. When people are at the height of their rebellion against you. When people are at the height of their betrayal against you. When people are at the height of doing you wrong. Gang, please hear me when I tell you this. This is so hard. I'm not saying it's easy. Please hear my heart in this. I'm not saying this is easy. But what I'm saying is that Christ invites us into this. And when he invites us into this, he will give us the strength we need that at the moment when people do do us wrong, at the moment when you turn on the news and you're watching something on TV, and when you see a group of people, a community of people that don't look like you, think like you, act like you, hold to the same values you hold to, or sit on the same political side that you sit on, It's in those moments that we don't put our hand in front of God. It's at that that moment that we don't decide to pack all of our bags and move to a state that represents the color of politics that we believe in. But what it does represent is we say, it's at this moment that I get on my face before the living God and I pray to the God who loved me when I was in rebellion, when I hated God and he loved me in spite of that, that when I get on my face before the creator of the universe and I say, God, these are the people that I hate. These are the people that frustrate me. These are my enemies and God, I lay them before you and I say, God, you love them. Help me to see them the way you see them. Help me to love them the way you love them. This is what God calls us to. Would you pray with me? Father, right now, in these moments, Lord, that remain, Lord, I believe that you are speaking to some people in this room. Lord, I believe that you are at work in the lives of your people. And Lord, I pray for those of us that are in this room right now that are carrying burdens. Lord, that are carrying things in our lives, Lord, where somebody has hurt us, someone has done us wrong, and we don't know how to let go of it. God, I pray that today that you would help us to let go of that. Lord, for those of us in this room that maybe we're experiencing some animosities against certain people groups, certain circles. Lord, we lay that down before you and we say, God, it's yours. This situation is yours. And maybe for you today, as every head bowed and every eye is closed,
Let me just ask this question. Maybe you find yourself at this moment when you're, when you're hearing me say, you say, Pastor Mike, you're talking about like, like me being enemies of God. Is that true? Am I an enemy of God? If you've not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and allowed him to become the leader and forgiver of your life, then in fact you are an enemy of God. But see, here's the cool thing about this. That can be reconciled at this moment. That can be healed at this moment. And if that's you today and you say, Pastor Mike, I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I want him to become the leader and forgiver of my life. I want to be friends with God. I don't want to be enemies of God. I want to be friends with God. If that's you today, on the count of three, I just want you to shoot your hand straight up. Listen, there's nothing magical in that. There's also this is just a sign between you and God. And here's what I want to do. I want to pray with you when you raise your hand. If that's you on the count of three, just shoot your hand straight up. Ready? One, two, three. Just shoot your hand straight up. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I see you up there. Thank you. Thank you. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to say a prayer together. And again, there's nothing magical in the prayer. But everything at this moment has, built, has been built up to this. For us to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. We're going to say a prayer. And I just want you to repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father. Come on, say, Heavenly Father. I come to you right now. And I surrender my life to you. I thank you for what you did on the cross. And how you rose again from the dead. I accept your love and your forgiveness. And I pray today that I would live for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for all of those that prayed that prayer in this room. Lord, I pray that you would solidify that prayer in their hearts. Lord, I know, Lord, that what the power of the enemy is, and I know, God, that when they walk out of this place and they go home, they're going to think it was an emotional decision. And so, Lord, I pray that you would solidify that in their hearts this morning, we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.